Hey folks, welcome to the Simple to Understand podcast. I am your host, Dean Douglas. My guests today are Noah Polanski and Avi Stoller, two of the three co-founders of TAVE, spelled T-A-I-V, and their website is TAVE.TV. They are a Winnipeg-based tech startup company that is revolutionizing the way traditional TV advertising is displayed inside businesses. If you're a business owner, small, medium, or large, that has TVs playing for your customers, then this product is perfect for you. Tave allows businesses to advertise what they want during commercial breaks at a fraction of the cost, and that's an understatement. In this episode, we talk about entrepreneurship, marketing, the importance of relationships, personal hardships that both Noah and Avi have faced in the past to get to where they're at, and much more. And here's a brief bio of each. Noah worked in marketing for a software company that helped people with intellectual disabilities, and he shares one of his best ROI or return on investment uh, strategies that he was doing while he was in charge of the marketing. And it was not doing the traditional forms of marketing, but something else. And I will let him tell you what he found to be most effective. Noah also had the unfortunate experience of losing his mom to a rare form of cancer while he was only a teenager. This tragic event inspired him to take action and actually make a difference by starting to fundraise money towards cancer research. At 14, he started a foundation called Kids Count, which I've linked and included in the show notes that you can find over at www.simpletounderstand.com, which aims to provide kids affected by cancer who want to take action by offering them training, tools, and support. To date, and this podcast was recorded in October of 2019, they've helped roughly 30 kids raise over 800000 and their goal is to hit $1 million. so they're very close to reaching that goal. You can also reach out to Noah on LinkedIn uh, to learn more and get involved, and I've included both Noah and Abby's LinkedIn accounts uh, over at www.simpletounderstand.com, so you can go over there and check it out. Now on to Avi. Avi wanted to be a doctor out of high school and he ventured into a biochemistry degree. After a turn of events, which is better told by him in this episode, he was able to dig himself out of a low place and I want to take a moment to thank both Avi and Noah for sharing their stories, both the highs and the lows. I think it's extremely important to share both, uh, especially in today's day and age, uh, which I go a bit into this episode as well, talking about social media and the effects on a macro scale and other tidbits that uh, I'll let you guys just listen to. And eventually, uh, Abby ended up partnering with Noah and is currently the Director of Business Development at TAFE. And you can reach out to me and let me know what you think of this episode, either by rating this podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. Uh, Make sure to hit that subscribe button so you can stay tuned on when I release each new episode. And you can also leave a comment on www.simpletounderstand.com. Under each episode, there is a comment section, so please uh, encourage everyone to head over there for everything. And then you can also get in touch with me on Twitter at DDouglasSTU. That's at DDouglasSTU. And I'm open to changing that handle, uh, so feel free to 
tweet me other possible options, but uh, you can do any of those. And that's it. So without further ado, please enjoy this episode with Avi and Noah. All right. Okay, guys, we are live. So thanks for coming on the podcast, you guys. Well, thanks for having us. So let's just do a quick little uh, intro. And if you guys could, uh, Avi, why don't you start and uh, just give us a little introduction on yourself. Sure. Yeah. My name is Avi, uh, Avi Stoller. I'm born and raised in Winnipeg. I now work for a startup through a series of events. That's really cool with uh, with my partner, Noah, over here. And uh, we're we're working our asses off to try to take this thing uh, off the ground and uh, and make a billion-dollar company one day would be the big, hairy, audacious goal, as they like to say. Awesome. Yeah. I love it. And uh, Noah, take it away. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I'm the CEO of Tave. Uh, that's what our company's called. And uh, I was one of the three co-founders who started this company a little bit over a year ago. And me, Avi, and Jordan, who's not with us today, have kind of been working on it ever since and growing. Awesome. And how do you spell TAVE for those who are curious? T-A-I-V. And you can look us up at TAIV.TV. TAIV.TV. Yes. Awesome. And uh, let's just start with what the company is and what TAVE is. So uh, whoever <laughs> wants to, to jump in and explain what TAVE is. Uh, take it away. Sure. Uh, so the basic concept is a business has control over everything in their establishment. They choose the paint on the walls. They choose who they hire. They choose the posters. They choose what the glasses they use. Uh, but they can't control one thing, and that is the commercials on the TVs that they have. And a lot of businesses do play TVs, restaurants, car dealerships, hotels, casinos, um, and so we've developed a product that can detect and replace these commercials for these businesses. So we make a magic box and this box goes into the restaurant or car dealership or anything and they install it right in there, right beside their cable box. And when a commercial is about to be played, it realizes that there's a commercial being played and it's as if it switches the channel to the business's own concept. So, for example, Boston Pizza can play their own ads and block out over the Moxie's ads or over all the whole commercial break and block out their competitors at the same time. So it's a really cool way for businesses to talk to their customers during the commercial time, which is a wasted sales opportunity otherwise. And it's a great way to market in-house marketing for their business. That's yeah, right, yeah. Exactly. If, if you look at pretty much any in-house marketing thing on, on the market right now, uh, they all have something in common, and that's that uh, each of those solutions hurts your atmosphere. So if you want to put something up on a table, a little card, uh, it hurts the atmosphere. If you want to put a TV up that just shows ads all the time, it hurts the atmosphere. And that's why a lot of high-end restaurants, like if you go to the keg or a high-end steakhouse, they usually won't do any marketing in-house. Uh, they'll just have a menu and candles maybe and then decorations because it keeps that atmosphere. Uh, and, and what really makes us unique is that uh, by replacing these TV commercials, we actually help them improve their atmosphere instead of hurting it. Instead of showing random garbage competitors, things that have nothing to do with their business, uh, they can control exactly what they want to show. So. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is a perfect time, uh, Noah, for maybe you to share how this idea came to be and and where it all started. Yeah, for sure. So uh, it was about a year and three months ago. I'm a huge hockey fan. I was watching the Jets. Uh, they were in the playoffs at the time. Um, and I was watching a game at a bar with my girlfriend. Um, and I was drinking a Corona and having a good time. And it cut to a commercial. And I saw an ad on the TV. And it was actually a Boston pizza ad that Coronas were $5. And I saw that. And I looked down at the beer I was drinking and paid $8 for and just kind of had this moment of that's that's bad uh, and I, I kind of come from a marketing background and so you know what you're supposed to do you're supposed to affirm the sale you're supposed to make them feel like they did a good thing that they made the right decision you're supposed to make them want to buy another one instead I'm sitting here feeling like I got ripped off uh, and so I asked to talk to the manager and when she came over I just asked her honestly like hey like I saw these Boston pizza commercials how does that make you feel she's like it's pretty bad like I wish we didn't have to show them like, okay, if you could show anything you wanted during those breaks, what would you promote? And she started listing things and events that were coming up. And, and so I kind of had this idea of what if we let them do that? And so we started going around and I spent a couple weeks, just every business I went into, a car dealership, a hotel, a doctor's office, I'd say like, hey, what would you put here if you could? And not all of them wanted to, but a lot of them did. The vast majority of the businesses I talked to said, oh yeah, I'd show you know my drinks. I'd show you know how you can book direct for your hotel. I'd show our new cars on the lot. And so we started thinking, okay, how do we build this thing? And the idea was born. And uh, for like, say a dentist office, uh, like how would they possibly use something like, uh, like your product? Yeah, so, so the way we really see them using it, and it's not one of the markets we're going after right now, but yeah. uh, to promote, um, to promote uh, products and uh, drugs, especially for doctor's offices that they carry. So a doctor might be able to show um, you know, arthritis medications and actually get the drug company to pay for the spot. A dentist mm -hmm. might be able to show a partnered clinic where they do oral surgeries and you know, be able to get them to subsidize the spot or even how people can use insurance or how they can book online, really anything they want. Yeah. I know in my dentist's office, they also have like a little display case with teeth whitening products and different products basically that you can purchase there instead of going to a store. So you could potentially also promote any in-house items that you have for sale. Basically, your 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 in-house marketing or your marketing relevant content to a relevant audience and you're kind of in control of that from a business standpoint so one question uh, so I'll just provide some some backstory into how we got connected <laughs> and then one question that came out of our first meeting so the place that I work at you guys got connected to a co-worker and then you guys came in you did your pitch I got looped into the meeting kind of last minute came in late but heard about the concept and idea and one question that I had was uh, that I asked you guys then was is this legal can you guys actually do this and so that's my repeated question to you guys because I know the answer but I'll, I thought I'd just let you guys answer that for sure yeah so everyone has that question because people think hey you know how can this be legal like could people pay for the commercial slots it's, it's like a billion dollar industry how can you guys get rid of those commercials? And the answer is we don't get rid of the commercials. It's as if some our product automatically switches the channel or switches the input. And so we don't break any laws when it comes to decrypting the video or 
making any copyrighted materials, even internal copies would also be uh, a way that you can't do it legally. So the problem we're solving isn't necessarily the hardest problem if there aren't the laws that protect people from intercepting the stream, but it's more that we're superimposing our ads over and the commercials are always just playing in the background. And every business has the right to change the channel. So mm-hmm. we're essentially just doing that to them right. automatically. Right. And then because this is a very disruptive new technology, I could see a lot of, because uh, it, it costs a lot. I'm in marketing, so I know running TV ads is very, very expensive. Um but one example that I thought of as well is when you're driving in a car and an ad comes on in the radio, I don't want to listen to that car radio ad, so I'll flip the station and I'll go to another station. And similarly, that's kind of what this product does, but just on television. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Is that exactly. a good analogy? Yeah, that's exactly it. Like it, yeah. it really is just watching the video and making a decision, and it's as if somebody's changing the channel. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. So I just wanted to get that hardball question right out of the way because I'm sure people listening will be like, well, how can you do that? Is that, is that actually possible? For and, sure. And you guys have a, a legal team, lawyers that you guys have consulted, looked into this. Yeah. And uh, you guys crossed your T's and yeah. dried your eyes on this, correct? And like not even, and even like recently we had a, a pretty thorough legal, legal audit done um, of us. And, uh, and and they found it to be completely fine. So it's been verified time and time again. Yeah. Awesome. That's exciting. That's good. We, I think we skipped over one part, Dean, though. Yes. When we, well, like the way that we originally met was with Harry, through Harry Schultz. Mm. And Harry Schultz, I just, I, I do my LinkedIn because I do the sales for Tave. And I noticed that he like had looked at my profile. So I yes. shot him a connection. And he accepted the connection and I shot him a message saying, hey, it's like nice to connect. You know, this is what we do. And I looked into him and he had, he's part of a venture capital firm um, that's based out of North Dakota, I believe. But he lives here, and we connected. And he's he's the nicest guy ever. We we since from that point, uh, he's like, yeah, come by, show us your stuff. And I said, this is what we do. We'd love to be in the medical industry. And then in comes in comes Dean over here, all quietly. <laughs> oh, I invited some people, and and Dean's just sitting there and, and listens to our idea, and and then the lights just start going off. And then from that point in time, we've had a great relationship back and forth, and you've helped us make some sales and we've uh, we've connected you with people and it's it's really funny how that kind of happens in Winnipeg and, and through life right so. yeah absolutely and uh, for any listeners that listened to um, like previous episode with uh, Frank Viert I uh, connected you guys uh, together shout out to Frank if he ends up listening to this but uh, hopefully you guys can do uh, stuff with you know within the auto industry I know that's one segment that you guys are getting into and, and, and targeting, which is very exciting. So I hope that, uh, that more business comes your guys way. And yeah, I think from the get go, I just saw, yeah, a lot of light bulbs and, uh, like my mind was just racing with ideas and I just loved the whole idea and concept of your guys' business and wanted to see if I could offer any support and connections or anything. Uh, and I'm just so happy that we're here finally getting together to do the podcast and, uh, and I'm sure just long road, just stay connected and and help each other out in any way possible. But, uh, yes, thanks for adding that, 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 that point. That's very important for sure. Um, so let's, uh, maybe just backtrack and talk about 
uh, even prior to the idea of where Taves started and maybe, I don't know much about your guys' history and how you guys connected. Um, tell us about that, about okay. how you guys got connected. Sure. Should I start from my perspective, then you start from your perspective? Absolutely. Okay, let's do it that way. All right. Uh, I'm Jewish. Actually, we're both Jewish. So is Noah's girlfriend. Um, the Jewish community is pretty connected here. So I came up, I was, uh, I was raised with a more religious background. So I've, I've been part of some more religious organizations and, uh, Noah's girlfriend's also involved with more religious organizations. And we found ourselves at a party at a, uh, event actually close to exactly a year ago. It'll, it'll be coming up in, in a couple weeks now it's called Sukkot, um, and there was a uh, there was a party for young Jews around our age at uh, at a rabbi's house. So there I am at the rabbi's house, working a job I absolutely can't stand. At the CRA, and there's nothing wrong with the CRA because we are on a podcast. But it wasn't for me. I mean, I don't I don't like a job where I'm kind of boxed in and not not able to uh, to kind of inco- add some ideas of my own or make an influence or anything like that. And, uh, and so anyways, I'm talking to, uh, I'm talking to somebody and I overhear some girl who I didn't know at the time, which was Noah's girlfriend say, yeah, my, uh, my boyfriend's, he's looking for, uh, for customers and investors. He has this new idea. This is what he's doing. And I'm like, whoa, that's pretty cool. Like no way. And and furthermore, I'm like, and he's a computer scientist and that's okay. Does he have a salesperson? I don't know if he does. I don't know if he has somebody that has experience selling. So I connect. I shot him a LinkedIn message at that point, and I guess that you can take it off from there. Yeah. So uh, I went to the same high school as Avi, but we never really talked. Okay. Uh, and I yeah. barely. I probably had like a couple conversations with a guy in my life yeah. up to there, if that. Uh, and I just get a LinkedIn message out of out of the blue saying, "Hey Noah, I was talking to your girlfriend, and I was telling her how I can help you find investors." Can we grab coffee? <laughs> <laughs> Straight up sales pitch right from the so, get-go. Love it. Yeah. So I was like, okay, like, sure. <laughs> um, and then we get the coffee and I felt that he just had, you know, like a connection or something that he was going to make. And he's like, gives me this whole pitch about why he wants to join me and why he wants to quit his job and join my team and why I should take him on and make him a co-founder of his company and why it'll be the best decision I ever made. Yeah. And he sold it really well. So I yeah. said, yes, I brought him on. We gave him a bit of a probation period, a couple months of like just grinding and seeing what he could do. And then we hit it off and really happy we brought him in. Yeah. And here you guys are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And so, um, so let's even backtrack a little bit more. What was your, you guys both born in Winnipeg? Born and raised in Winnipeg? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. What, uh, What's been your guys' experience just maybe from, like, a young age? What was, like, no, what, what was it like growing up in Winnipeg for, for you? Just, and you can take that in any way that you want, but how did, what area of the city or, like, what what did you do? What were you interested in as a, as a kid? Yeah, I was a weird kid. Um, <laughs> I was a really weird kid. Uh <laughs> So, <laughs> go on. <laughs> yeah, so I always liked building things and like tinkering and like doing things with my hands, but yeah. I didn't really know how to do it or have people I could talk to about how to. So I'd end up like coming up with these like ridiculous like Rube Goldberg like machines and shit that just never worked mm. uh, and never did anything. So like I remember one time I like 
I had a friend over and like we tied like a string to a remote control car and we like tried to like pull it and it was supposed to knock over some dominoes and like do do this whole like chain thing. And I was like, yeah, this is gonna be so cool. And it never worked. And none of it ever worked. Um, but I love doing stuff like that as a kid. I love trying to build things. Uh, I always wanted to build a go-kart and never did. And it's still on my to-do list. Someday when I get a kid, I'm going to build a go-kart from scratch. Mm-hmm. Uh, but kind of stuck with me since. Like mm-hmm. a few years back, I built an arcade machine from scratch. I, mm. I went and I bought an old beat-down Pac-Man machine and I completely redid the wood and I gutted it and put in a modern like modern computer and I loaded it up. And, mm-hmm. and I've always kind of liked doing stuff like that. Yeah. And in school... Uh, so your background is in computer science and marketing and marketing. So what was your route from high school to any post-secondary education that you did? Yeah, for sure. Um, so right after high school, I started, uh, business school. I went to the Asper school of business. Okay. And a couple years in, I got a co-op job working in marketing Mm. Uh, and I really liked it, and I became really good friends with the owner of the company. It was a, it was a software company, and they sold payroll software. Mm. Um, and he kind of knew that I had these entrepreneurial aspirations, and he said, like, hey, like, why don't you stay on a year? Like, why don't you, you know, run, run our marketing, do it for a year, just see how you like it. And, mm. and, you know, in exchange, I'll bring you in. You can kind of see how everything works in the company, and you can really learn. And so I did that for a year, and I loved it. And then... At the end of a year, I was like, okay, my year's done. I'm, I'm going to do this. And mm-hmm. I had no idea how to do anything to do with tech. So I went back to school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got three quarters of a computer science degree. Mm-hmm. And then I put it on hold with three courses left to, uh, to go do TAVE. And what, do you, what specific skills do you learn in a computer science degree? Is it coding? Is it much more than that? What, uh, what kind of courses did you take or what what skills did you take out of uh going through yeah so i went to a lot of coding but it's more the higher level how things work and how to build and how to organize your time and how to how to take something from an idea to an execution in every step of the way so mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of what i found the degree taught you was more how to think about things and how to actually approach these technical products mm-hmm. projects and and work through them you know step by step and how to go from this big idea that seems impossible to how do I actually build the thing? Mm. And that was a lot of the value I got out of it. And I don't really code anymore. Like my day-to-day doesn't involve any coding at all. I haven't written a line of code for three months, but mm. uh, that, that mindset of how to, how to take these ideas and break them into tasks and execute them one by one has kind of stuck with me and really, really been helpful. What were your strong subjects in school? Uh, always math and sciences. Yeah. And uh, math and science was big in computer science as well yeah so that was like I was great that was what I was great at in high school and then in computer science it just it it worked like I Mm -hmm. got it and I did well in in a lot of the classes because they're very math based and Mm -hmm. you know when I was in business school a lot of the time I'd have trouble with the writing based classes and you know the the way of like writing something completely subjective and and -hmm. getting graded on it just seemed kind of ridiculous but Mm-hmm. the objective stuff I was great at so mm-hmm. yeah in our school in our school Gray Academy did an excellent job at education but one thing that they did not uh, have is a coding class mm-hmm. which is something that they every single high school uh, should have nowadays because of how common it is to have uh, computer scientists and, and technology in every single industry that exists like bar, bar none right so, yeah. so 
um, when, when Noah says he was good at science and math, that was like, that was what was offered uh, at Gray Academy, at least at the time that we went to. Mm-hmm. And so, um, that would be why he would be, you know, you, you know, that you'd be good at computer science through that. Right. And, uh, what, um, what sort of marketing stuff did you do when you were at Asper for that one year of, uh, at, at that, uh, that place that you mentioned that you worked at. Yeah, it was actually super related to probably what you do, Dean. Uh, so I, I made, we, we, we made software that helps agencies that help people with intellectual disabilities okay. uh, manage their people. Okay. So uh, a lot of what we did marketing-wise was just uh, letting these agencies know that our software existed, helping them solve their problems. So everything from, you know, I'd send postcards in the mail. One time I remember for Christmas, we sent out, uh, we found like 200 agencies across the country and we sent them each two dozen cookies that we hand baked and like Mm -hmm. we do trade shows and then we did some Facebook ads, of course, and the digital stuff. But Mm -hmm. uh, it was cool because it was very personal. Like what I found worked the best wasn't the traditional advertising. It was actually building that like relationship one-on-one and figuring out a way to take these relationships that normally you'd have a sales guy pick up the phone and make and try and build it with 200 people at once. Right. I don't know. Does that, is that similar to kind of what you found? Like how, how does marketing work for you? What do you do that works well? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. I've spent, uh, cause I got about eight years experience in marketing, um, about five or so in the auto industry and then to coming on three in the nonprofit space. Similarities and differences in both sectors. Uh, I've got more experience in digital than I do traditional, but I do have experience in any type of marketing, you name it. Um, but I'm more familiar with digital, and maybe we, this is something we can kind of go down the rabbit hole on a little bit because I've been having, uh, well, part of whatever field you're in, you want to stay current and you want to research latest trends, etc. And on a macro scale, I look at the effects of digital marketing and I go, holy shit, I don't like where this is going. I don't like how much time we spend on a screen. I don't like uh, the little um, break periods that people have while they're waiting in line and they're always attached to their screen and they're losing all these little moments, even when you go to the washroom, you bring your phone with you and you're not thinking you are mindlessly scrolling at all these break periods throughout your day to day. And so on a macro level, I'm like, I don't really like that because you're, you're, you're not critically thinking and companies are spending billions and billions of dollars to grab seconds and seconds and seconds and seconds of your attention. So, um, I grapple with that because I contribute to it, but then I'm really picky with where I work and what I'm marketing. So that's where I like where I work because it's an organization that provides a number of services for people with disabilities. And a big portion of my job is to market stories of people with disabilities. And I go at the angle of, well, let's... um, take a positive spin on this and let's share what, um, you know, what are people's strengths 
and abilities, not their disabilities, and also make it educational and be like, here's the here's what that disability is and know what the causes and symptoms are, but then also look at what they're capable of doing, knowing what barriers they may or may not face. So I don't have a problem marketing that <laughs> because I'm like, well, this is this is all around good and positive, and there's so much negative shit out there in marketing that I'm like, well, you can actually stand out by being positive and by sharing good stories because there's so many bad stories and there's so much garbage out there that I, I wish that was the opposite. I wish we were all competing for space and like the amazing accomplishments and exciting things that people are doing, not pinning people against one another and having this huge polarized uh, view in the media uh, through traditional avenues and uh, untraditional avenues, like maybe like Twitter or whatever. Um, so that's, that's my long-winded answer of, uh, I, I don't even know if I answered your, your direct question, but I've uh, what was your question again? Because I, I went down a rabbit hole. <laughs> I, I was just thinking about that too. I was like, what was that question? <laughs> well, yeah, what was your question? Again? I just said like, what kind of marketing do you do? What? Okay, so I do, I, yeah, so I do it all. Uh, but um, I guess that's like giving some context into, or maybe provides the why I do what I do. Uh, but I do all different types of marketing. And... Uh, yeah, how was that for an answer? <laughs> Good. So it's interesting. You're talking about how uh, all these companies are out there competing for everyone's attention and, you know, high-grabbing things. And then you have the nonprofit world where it's promoting good. But there's almost like this necessary evil. Like, companies mm -hmm. need to market. We need to market. So how yeah. would you market if you were in our shoes in a way that isn't grabbing everyone's attention and is actually, like, ethical? Um... I think the most effective way to market is by building personal relationships and you seem to have alluded to that and so the best marketing is meeting people face to face the I love doing podcasts that are face to face because it's more the way that it's the best form of communication if we were to do it over the phone audio is great and you can hear the intonation in people's voices but you can't get the visual component to it uh, so I would say you build as many relationships face to face that you can and you um, maybe like I don't know, go back in time and network the the old way of shaking hands and meeting people face to face uh, Avi's shaking his head yeah, right now because he could not agree more right so I think yeah. that would be the most effective way and then digital marketing so cost effective that if you have uh you know, there's so many free ways to market through or like organically without putting any money behind it on social media that I think you can do it that way as well. And then for like big high level, maybe campaigns or projects or, or goals that you focus on, you put money behind it. Uh, but it comes down to every place that you work at, you have to ask like why you're doing something or what your goals are. And then and then you determine what metrics would be appropriate to to be able to be like, is, does that make sense? Am I actually answering, 
am I satisfying that goal? Am I reaching that goal? So if your goal is to reach as many people as possible, then you look at the metric of um, views, how many views on a video or how many likes you get or how many shares you get. Um, and maybe that's good for branding because then people associate your organization. But then if you want to sell X amount of products, then you look at different metrics like your click-through rate or ultimately how many products you're actually selling, but how many eyeballs you're getting to say a landing page online, if that's your way to funnel through sales, um, or if it's through telephone, then how many calls are you making? And then how many appointments does that make? Cause I don't know how many sales you're actually going to make over the phone. I, I don't know, like you might make a lot, but you probably close the deal maybe in person. So it depends on like your business model and your, your whole structure. Yeah. But a simple short answer would be go old school and meet as many people as you can face to face. I think that would be my my recommendation. Networking events, trade shows, uh, and just, yeah, go, going to industry events. Um, yeah. Developing relationships, maintaining those relationships, getting those referrals, and then helping them out, and and exactly, and who doesn't like to play golf too, right? So right. I mean, a lot of business gets <laughs> done. I can go golfing with some <laughs> on the golf course. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. I think one thing that I, is really important to touch on, and I think a lot of people just need to hear it, is that because we're in a society of like, and I think. I think that maybe millennials are misunderstood because a lot of us are, um, we want things now and instant and quick and we have short attention spans and to some degree, yes, we are in certain circumstances. Obviously, there's like any generalization, there's going to be exceptions to it, but um, hard work, I don't think we're afraid of hard work and I think that the long game is the one that you want to play, not the short term. You can have short term goals and long term goals, but like if you are like, I don't like the tortoise and the hare analogy, but if you play the the tortoise over the hare, like you're you're gonna have longevity over short term. So I think you wanna like hard work is actually more meaningful than just something that's like really easy, and I think that's like okay too admit that I think if you if if you go back to like your childhood and you look at like all these different little things that you were like building all the time like how many in your eyes failures did you like have all those things that you built but then you get to the point where like well all those things led you to what you're building now and this might be like the hardest project that you're working on right now but is it the most valuable yeah, I think so. Right? So I think it's okay to admit that, like, uh, like hard work is, like, good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, I, that's the main I don't think many point. people would fight you on that. <laughs> right? But I think a lot of people just want to take shortcuts and, like, cut around corners, and then it just, I don't know, I just, I, I don't really think it, it works. Or it's not going to work for that long. Yeah, everyone loves the idea of retiring when you're 30 and just coasting through life. Everything comes naturally. Everything comes easily. I would argue that those people aren't going to be happy because it's just like you said, hard work and struggling and uh, 
doing something and having something that you had to struggle for is so meaningful. And especially if you're doing it for a reason that you stand behind and you believe in. Mm -hmm. So when you put in those long hours to, um, and you successfully create marketing for people with disabilities and you share those success stories, like how much better do you look back at yourself and you say, Hey Dean, you know what? Good job. Like Mm -hmm. you busted your ass, you worked, went above and beyond and you should be proud of yourself. And, Mm -hmm. and, it's not about what you get. It's not about um, making the most amount of money, or having the most amount of power, influence, or reputation, or fame, or anything like that. I think it's really about doing it on your own merit and and working so hard to get it that you can look back at yourself, and that's worth way more, in my opinion, than anything else. Mm-hmm. I just read a really good book uh, recently, and it was called The War of Art. Not the art of war, but the war of art. The war of art. The war of art. And uh, it's like an easy read. It's a little over like 100 pages. And he, the author talks at least like two-thirds of the book. So around like, I don't know, 60 to 70-ish pages around resistance. And he, talk, and he defines resistance in a lot of different ways. But he talks about if you have something in your life that is, that there's resistance to you getting to whatever it is that you're working towards, the more resistance you have, but you push through that resistance and then you get to that end point, the like sweeter the fruit will be or it's like it'll be so worth it. And it's also a good kind of litmus test into like where to put your priorities behind because it's usually if you have a lot of resistance towards something it's eating up a lot of like your headspace however when you push through that and you focus on it even though it might not be something that you want to do like welcome resistance take it full on and like push through that until it's done and you'll probably have like a big breakthrough and it'll be like a really valuable use of your time and you'll get a lot out of it so uh, does that ring true to any examples that you can think of with starting a company? And it was there certain things that you guys like focused on? You're like, maybe I don't really want to do this, but God, I'm sure glad that I did. What do you think, Noah? Has, have we even struggled at all? Like, <laughs> <laughs> you can pick one or many examples and, and see if that's true or not. I think every single day we do that. Um, but one thing that took me too long to learn is that just because something's hard doesn't mean it's necessarily worth doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a lot of things that are worth doing are hard. And so it's about choosing where to put your energy because even if you work your ass off 24 hours a day, there's only 24 hours in a day. Mm-hmm. And so something that took me a long time to learn was actually looking at things and saying, okay, should I even do this? Is this worth doing? And then when you do it, you decide to do it and you go all in and you give it 110% and you beat that struggle and exactly what you're talking about. There's resistance and there's, you know, negativity and you don't feel like it's worth doing at times, but you know that you have to do it and you have to push through. But I think that that extra step of saying before you start, is this even worth doing has saved us so much time and so much energy and effort on things that had, you know, very small paybacks or weren't worth doing at all. And Mm-hmm. So that's kind of a test I do with everything. Like even even today, you know, mm-hmm. before coming down and doing this podcast, it's is it worth doing the podcast? Is it worth spending two hours uh, chatting? And it's like, well, 
yeah, it is. First of all, I want to catch up with Dean and chat with him, but also, you know, <laughs> we, get, we get some exposure, we get to talk about our company, we get a chance to, you know, reflect on ourselves. Yeah, it's absolutely worth doing, but that's kind of a litmus test that I've been doing with every everything I put effort into, and I think it's saved a lot of time. Yeah. And so for, for you guys, how do you know when, say, there is a lot of resistance towards something that you're working on, when to pull the pin and say, you know what, this actually isn't a good use time and it's okay to change directions? I mean, I'm, I'm constantly asking, is this worth doing? But I never give up because something's hard. Mm-hmm. Um, I only give up because it's not worth it. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'll never be sitting there and, you know, struggling at something for weeks on end, which happens, and say screw it, this isn't worth my time, I'll keep struggling. Uh, but it does hit a point where you say, okay, what are the alternatives? What's the next best option? Is the trade-off good? And so I just constantly look at that you know, next best alternative and, and try and decide whether it's worth doing it the way I was planning to or whether it's worth deviating from a plan. Right, so you kind of weigh a pro and con list as, as you go through... The, yeah. the task at hand. But but the answer is almost never just abandon it completely. It's usually just, is there a different way to do this? Is there something else we should do instead that's almost as good? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I honestly can't remember a single time where we just said, this is too hard, let's give up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of a weird like mental shift. I noticed that there, you know, in other jobs before, there are areas that you can kind of slack off with. Oh, I'm not keeping good enough notes or, oh, I'm not you know, careful enough to make sure I record everything here or do this or do that. Um, with a company, everything's really hard and there's a lot of unknowns. So we have like a mind frame of uh, we're willing to do the hardest things ever and just go, is it which hard things do we do? Um, but to kind of agree with what you were saying before, I think it is like a a lot of times there is a sign that we naturally try to stay away from what we know we really should be doing. Mm -hmm. So you like focus on your weaknesses. And I know that I have the same thing. If there's something I hate to do, it's probably because it's really hard and it takes a lot of mental resources. And often uh, it might be the thing that I'm, I should be doing. And Mm -hmm. and by focusing on it, Mm -hmm. by focusing on it, I can, uh, I can kind of break through and and grow myself as personally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is there uh, like tips or tricks that you guys use to figure out what your priorities are? What is the biggest domino to tackle that is going to have a, a domino effect and, and maybe eliminate doing a whole bunch of other tasks? I, uh, so I keep a to-do list. Um, I use Todoist. It's an app, and I just keep it sorted. And every day, the first thing I do in the morning is I walk in and I go through my entire to-do list and I organize what do I want to do in what order today and I work through it and then the next day I don't continue I start and reorganize and some things never get done some things keep getting pushed down but those are usually the things that don't matter and the things that are time sensitive or important or easy usually end up at the top at some point Mm -hmm. Um, but there usually aren't those dominoes like it's pretty rare that you can knock out a whole bunch of things by doing one thing it's usually just a whole bunch of things. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Abby? Um, what was the question again? Uh, is there... How, how do you decide what, what to do each day? How do you structure mm-hmm. your priorities? Or is mm-hmm. it fluid and does it change kind of day to day? But do you have any, like, structure or tips on... 
how you prioritize. Yeah, uh, yeah. So the nature of my job is a little bit different than Noah's. That I don't have like a bunch of tasks that I could do and just pick the order, but I have things I have to do during business time because I do the sales and I handle all like the business development and sales needs for the company. So on a daily basis, there are things I have to do at a certain point in time. And there are things I have to get off by a certain deadline. If somebody wants some information by email, I have to complete the report. Like there's one I'm going to have to do after the podcast today, for example. Um, But there there will still be times and there are still things I'm going to have to eventually do. And I kind of take them in my mind and I say, okay, if I complete this, what does that give me? How important is that for us right now? Okay, well, there's probably a list of like five or 10 or 15 things that I could do right now or that we could do to help uh, help our jobs and that the company's going to have to eventually do. How important is that now? What is the most important thing? And then how long is that going to take me? So if there's something that's super crucial that'll take me 20 hours and there's something that's almost just as crucial it'll take me one hour. Well, I'm going to do that one hour thing, even if it's not the most crucial. And then you kind of weigh it there. And that's how I, that's kind of like the mental math I do. Mm-hmm. I, I recently heard of, I can't remember where I heard it from, but uh, basically if a task, it takes less than two minutes to do, do it right then and there, and then it's done. And then you can go back to what you're doing or move on to the next thing. I try to keep that in mind, even inside, like at work and outside at home. If I'm like, oh, I got to move that shirt from the living room upstairs, I'll just go do it so that thing all these little things don't build up and then I have to spend a lot of time later doing all these like kind of minute minuscule details or whatever so that's like one rule that I've tried to keep in the back of my mind is just like okay is this gonna take two minutes okay I'll just do it now right you kind of did that with uh your cup and the dishwasher thing before we uh, sat down here giving me a tour and then you went to go get a coffee cup and you emptied the whole dishwasher right because you didn't want to have more you didn't want to go back and then have other people just keep adding dirty cups to whatever it was clean so that's kind of an example that popped into my mind yeah totally yeah um, and then I know we dove down a little bit of the, the past with, uh, with Noah. Abby, what was your childhood experience like growing up in Winnipeg? <laughs> what sort of thing, what were you like as a kid? What, what sort of things were you uh, interested in? Yeah, um, well, it wasn't all flowers and fairy tales. <laughs> Start with that much. Um, if I'm going to be completely honest, I was a weird and shy kid as well. I was really shy. I had social anxiety. Um, and I went to a Jewish school that was filled with a whole bunch of, um, people that it's funny how on the outside, it seems like everybody's life is so good. And then you look at your own life and you're like, but my life isn't that great. Like, you know, everyone has problems in their household. Right. But you don't see the other people's problems in their household. So as a kid, I was very shy and I feel like, I mean, I had a good childhood at the end of the day, but I also had a lot of struggles and struggles with friends and, and with a family that wasn't very affluent and was kind of struggling financially for a lot of the, a lot of the times. Um, and I always worked really hard to kind of overcome that. So I'd always work really hard to make sure I was like one of the smartest kids in class and that I was, um, 
one of the you know best people at sports and I'm always trying to prove myself and validate myself to everybody and that's mm-hmm. kind of who I was and I love science and math as well I was always good at science um, not so much the math part but more biology so I, I was re- I had a really good memory I could always remember things that someone told me like years ago or if uh, if like my teacher listed off a list of like five or ten things usually I would remember remember most of them um, so that was kind of like my gift, so to speak. Um, and as a, and when I graduated, I wanted to be a doctor. And I went to university and I got a biochemistry degree. Um, but I had a tough time paying my way through university, working, um, going through diff- certain different problems. So I resorted to, to drugs and smoking weed. I mean, people don't really think of weed as a drug, but I was completely addicted to it at a certain mm-hmm. point. It ruled my life, like mm-hmm. literally. Um, and eventually I, I worked hard and I, I quit that. Um, but while I was going through school, I, because I was smoking weed, I had not, I would never study or anything. I was just incapable of it and I got really bad marks. So I never made it into med school. And when I graduated and I finally quit, um, smoking weed, my life started taking off and it was one of the hardest things and most resistant things that happened, but it was necessary for me to start growing as a person. Mm -hmm. I started working harder. I worked out. I started getting, I got my first girlfriend. um, And, uh, and then I, I kind of adopted the attitude that you should be a creator of circumstances and not a creature of circumstance. So instead of letting life kind of give me my options, I wanted to go out and seek what I wanted to do. And it was right as I made that mind shift that I then met or heard Noah's thing, um, Noah's girlfriend and Noah's idea and thought to myself, why don't I be proactive, reach out and see if I can make the life that I want to do. Mm -hmm. And here I am today. Love that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, like anything, if you take it too much or to the extreme, then it can just be detrimental, right? Like if you're smoking weed all the time, then you just, you can just turn into a couch potato and not be productive and not grow and look at things, uh, like not get out and do different things. Right. And, uh, and if, and if you had social anxiety as well, like pretty easy to stay in that space but then it'll get to a point where like it's not going to last right and you need to needed to get out and like make those changes was there was there somebody that helped you along the way or was that like you reaching a certain like low point and then being like you know what enough's enough did that like come internally or did anyone along the along the path shake you up a little bit and say hey yeah, for sure. I, I was definitely shaken up. I got some some help and some support. Um, and yeah. it was a series of small changes that I made that slowly took me from a downward spiral to what I think is an upward spiral. So mm-hmm. um, coming to terms with where I came from, not holding anger to people that did me wrong in the past, mm-hmm. um, and then certain really influential characters for me... Um, one of them has been Jordan Peterson. Mm. Have you heard, do you know Jordan Peterson? Mm-hmm. Controversial, controversial person, which I really don't understand why, to be completely honest. He, what he advocates is for is taking responsibility yourself. That I could look at my challenges I had in life and say, I'm a victim. None of this was my fault. Woe is me. Um, 
this is why I am the way, this is why I have the problems that I have. Or I could take a look at those and say, I'm better than this. This is it's my responsibility. There's no excuse for doing drugs. Uh, you have social anxiety. Well, there's no excuse for not trying to push yourself out of your comfort zone and and go out there and try to work through it. And I slowly worked through all of my problems. I'm not perfect, but I always have the attitude of just keep on improving and making small decisions like, oh, I care about my health. You know, I care about uh, my family. I care about uh, maintaining friends and groups and and by making those small decisions they kind of added up to the point where I I feel like I've really uh, climbed the ladder and uh, made a lot of progress so far and it was really great it's something I'm proud of and something I hope that anyone who's listening um, or anybody who's looking at their life and saying my life is so hard all these shitty circumstances happen that are not your fault um, that they choose to react to something and instead of letting it take control of them, they adopt the responsibility that no matter what happens to you, it's your responsibility to do the right thing and to get yourself out of a tough situation, even if it seems like it's impossible and slowly make their way through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I think, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't know all the context behind it, but, uh, kind of timely that, uh, the last I've heard that Jordan Peterson recently checked himself in yeah. to rehab yeah. because of addiction to pills. Is that it? Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm yeah. not an expert. I, I heard this. It, I heard this on, uh, I heard a clip from Joe Rogan's podcast about this, that he, uh, his wife had cancer and has been struggling with cancer and, uh, he started, he was prescribed some anxiety, I think medication for it. And, uh, and he, I think it's anyways the his wife ended treatment or it was time for the stresses that he was taking the pills for ended but he was he he couldn't handle being off those pills because he became dependent on it so mm-hmm. he t- he checked himself into rehab good right. good for that guy right goes to your point of like uh like another kind of easy way to look at it or simple to understand way to look <laughs> at it if I may throw that in there is like you're taking care of your shit Right, and he's taking care of his shit by like checking in, and whether uh, I know, I think that just is good. And he's taking, he's he's preaching what he's he's talking about, and he's looking after himself. And I mean, God, he's not perfect either. He's human, and uh, so I don't know. Yeah, Jordan Peters Peterson is like awesome. I, I love everything that 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 guy talks about. Brilliant intellect, <laughs> good stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, love that. Um, thank you for sharing. Yeah, of course. No problem. I'm, yeah. I, I try to be as much of an open book as possible and, uh, not to be, I try not to, it's like, it's like we were talking about before we could, we could say surface level, how everything's love and games or something, or we could go into real shit. So yeah, let's, uh, let's do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's important because, uh, again, going to social media and looking at like the macro level of, of stuff, uh, everyone's life is just fucking awesome on social media. I mean, everyone's got good relationships. They travel all over the place. They eat good food. It's like, oh shit, nobody's in debt. Nobody's struggling with relationships. Everyone's got friends. Everyone's good looking and they got the best angles. And it's just like, wow, there's no, (laughs) there's no problems if you're looking at it through your screen. But 
guaranteed that's not what's going on. And everyone's going through their own battle and they've got a history and a past and they're growing through whatever it is that they are. And so I think it's really important using forms like podcast and like other, uh, other like mediums to like break that down and kind of tip like balance the scales a little bit and I think it's really important to do it I've learned a ton from the Joe Rogan podcast because he talks about a lot of real uh like heavy stuff on there but he uh I don't know I've just learned a lot of like real stuff from a lot of real people and so thank you for sharing that um uh, we had talked a little bit before the podcast know about uh not the foundation but uh, I think this is like kind of relevant because it's just that mood right now. But could you could you tell us a little bit about uh, what I'm referring to and and maybe a little backstory into into that? Yeah, sure. So uh, when I was 13, my mom was diagnosed with cancer, uh, and it was really shitty, and I, you know, struggled with it a lot. And after a while, I kind of wanted to take a proactive approach and do something to get involved and make a difference. Uh, and what I found was that it's very hard for kids to uh, get involved and to fight back uh, when, you know, to, to really get involved and make a difference in the world. There aren't really outlets. You're not old enough to do anything on your own. Uh, and people don't trust you to do things on your own. Uh, but you're not really doing it if you're asking an adult to do it for you. Um, and so when I, when I was 13, I started... Uh, walking in a cancer walk and I started raising money uh, and I had to do it with my aunts and so we raised money together but it didn't feel right that I had to do it through them and so a couple years later I decided to start an organization it was called Kids Count and the idea was to give kids affected by cancer uh, an outlet to actually do things to make a difference to put themselves out and get involved without needing to go through someone else and without needing someone else to validate them and, and sign off on it uh, and so we gave them, we, we gave them the training and the tools to raise money for cancer. We taught them how to do it. Uh, we tried to provide them support where we could. Um, and one of the biggest pieces of the whole concept was that uh, you don't need your parent to do this with you. You can just do it. You can get involved. You can actually make a difference when you're 10, 11, 12, 13 if you want to. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I ran that for, I think, four or five years, and we helped 30-something kids raise over $800,000 for cancer. Um, and eventually I had to step down. I was an adult that didn't feel right to be running that. Uh, but it was something, it's something that I'm still really passionate about today. I feel that uh, if you're ever in a situation where you want to do something good for the world or even not good for the world, but you want to do something, it's not fair for other people to just tell you you can't do it. You should be able to go out and do anything you want. For sure. And uh, and that was something that you started when you were thir 13. Yeah, I started raising money when I was 13. I started the organization, I think I was 14 or so. Yeah. And uh, so who who runs it now? And if people want to go and check that out, what's the best avenue to to do that? Yeah, and, you know, and unfortunately, it... it it really is just my sister and, and a couple uh, a couple people who've expressed interest that are still doing it. Um, but I'm always help, happy to help any any kids who want to get involved and make a difference or any people really want to, cancer or otherwise, get involved. I'm always help, happy to, to touch base and, 
and help you work through that. And really the best avenue, I think, to, to get involved and to check it out is just to shoot me an email, to reach out on LinkedIn, to mm-hmm. uh, just say hi, and I will do my best to point you in the right direction. And, mm-hmm. you know, if that's through cancer, my sister still does this walk every year. There's still a few kids that do it every year, mm-hmm. uh, and I'll put you in touch with them. If it's something else, um, I know people who are doing similar things in other areas, and mm-hmm. um, it's really just about that empowerment and that making sure that people have an outlet to fight back and to be passionate about what they care about. Mm-hmm. For sure. And uh, I know we didn't talk about this, but I mention it usually before and uh, like an intro and outro of each episode, but I'll just mention it now that I'll put uh, stuff that we talk about in the show notes and then people can go to simpletounderstand.com and then uh, this episode will have its own show notes and everything. So uh, we'll just connect after this and you can send me any relevant links that are tied to that and uh and have any links that you think are like worth including in the show notes and we'll put that all together nicely for people to just be able to check out and uh and we can put your guys linkedin you know accounts or profiles there people can check you out there as well if that's an easy way to reach out to you or whichever method you guys prefer so, perfect yeah. yeah that's really the best way to get in touch with me is through linkedin through um, linkedin yeah 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 cool um that's awesome that you actually uh actually did something and uh so a lot of kids go through a lot of like hard times and maybe they don't necessarily do something or don't know how um, what would you in- encourage to others? And it doesn't have to be spe- specifically, say, related to cancer, but if they're going through, like, a hard time, what would you recommend uh, them to do? I think the first step is always talking to someone, uh, whether it's a parent, a guidance counselor, even, like, a friend, just saying, hey, I want to do something, and mm-hmm. then just talking through the problem. And then you got to figure out how you want to get involved. So for me, it was raising money. That's what made sense. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I started where it was obvious. I I would go door to door. I'd knock on my neighbor's doors and tell them I was raising money for cancer. And then mm-hmm. I did that for a while and you get better at it and you learn, okay, what if I do a fundraiser? What if I do this or that? And you start doing different things and bringing people into it and learning how to do it better. But that first step is always just looking at it and saying, what do I want to do? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's usually a pretty easy first step. Like usually the first step to get involved and to change the world is the easiest one. Um, sitting down and saying, I want to raise money for cancer was easy. It took me five seconds to decide. Sitting down and saying, I want to start a tech company was easy. Filing the paperwork to start a company took me 10 minutes. It's not the first step that's hard. It's the 10th and 20th. But by the time you get there, you've learned so much from the first nine that you know what you have to do. Hmm. Yeah, that's that computer science breaking down. (laughs) Experience talking now. I love that. That's good. Um, uh, So let's let's chat a little bit about what what you guys are working on right now that you can talk about. And then if if not, then what kind of um, goals and exciting things uh, you guys kind of have in the near future or, or, or long term. Yeah, so so I think the biggest thing we're working on as a team right now is going after enterprise and trying to take our product from, you know, 
Joe Schmo who owns a car dealership or someone who owns a restaurant and they've got one location and they think this is a really cool concept to, okay, you've got 50 locations. How do we put this in all of them? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a huge learning experience on our end. It's something that Avi's really driving, uh, the driving force behind. But um, mm-hmm. for us, it's, it's our first time doing this. We're lucky enough to have some great mentors who are helping to guide us through it. But mm-hmm. it's a challenge on every end. It's a challenge on Avi to get these sales, to figure out how to do pilots and turn that into sales. It's a challenge on operations. How do we actually ship out these boxes to Vancouver, to Regina, to the U.S.? And how do we license them and certify them so that we can sell it in the States? Mm-hmm. Um, how do we maintain them? You know, our, our third co-founder, Jordan, the technical guy, he's spent months of time just figuring out how to make these things so maintainable that even if everything goes wrong, we can still fix it without flying down. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really been the big push on our end, but it's also really exciting because it opens the door to just this world of, of huge opportunity for us. We can take this product that can provide a ton of value to these business owners mm-hmm. uh, and we can take it to some of the biggest brands uh, you know, in Canada and in North America and show them how this can help their business. Uh, one just brings up a good question. Say I own 50 Moxie's stores across Canada and I'm like, yep, yeah, Avi, Noah, this is awesome. How do I upload my content? Uh, you get uh, your marketing person or let's just say it's you that, that's going to run it. You go to our web app, which is kind of just like a website, to be honest. Mm-hmm. You log in kind of like you log into your email or something mm-hmm. and uh, you would click the upload button and then you could just any from anywhere, from any file, any video or photo or anything like that you can upload that and it'll turn it turn it into your own ad if it's a little clip or if it's a picture you can make minor modifications add text change the background color stuff like that mm-hmm. and uh, and then you have your all a list of all your ads you can create playlists kind of like you can with like Spotify or something with your music mm-hmm. and then you go to your calendar which is all on the website it's just three parts it's make your make your ads or upload your ads create playlists or like groups of them Mm -hmm. and then go to the calendar and just choose what playlists or what ads play at what times because you might need to play different stuff at different time if you're a restaurant you're probably going to have different people friday saturday night than you will for 6 a.m breakfast right Mm -hmm. so you might want to play different ads that they care about different things and because most commercials are is and correct me if i'm wrong 15 seconds or 30 seconds is that correct yeah and so you would want uh, the in-house, <coughs> excuse me, marketing material to be uploaded in either 15 second or 30 seconds or like, like variations of that. Yeah. yeah. So we, we really try and encourage people to do 15 second pieces. Okay. Um, it's just, it's, it's short enough that it grabs someone's attention, but it's doesn't get boring mm-hmm. uh, and you can still get a good point across but mm-hmm. you know it's really up to the marketing person at the end of the day if they want to run something for a minute mm-hmm. that's their decision to make but what we've seen our customers be the most successful with is when you know they really hit on very small points 10 to 15 seconds each and they just play them back to back and you know they're really they promote the atmosphere they maybe push one specific product they show upcoming events mm-hmm. uh, and they have that diversity built in mm-hmm. and at the same time it's not super overwhelming mm-hmm. and uh, it can be video or it can be like uh, like an image or like in my mind I think of like when you even go to like a restaurant like McDonald's or whatever and you see like a TV screen and then it's just got a stagnant like menu or whatever you could have a single image 
being marketed during yeah. like a commercial break, right? Yeah, yeah, and still images are a great way to uh, be able to provide a lot of variety in a short period of time. So if you have one image that just says, join us for our brunch for $5 sandwiches, for example, it doesn't take more than five or seven seconds for people to see that, understand what you're talking about, realize, hey, that looks really delicious because I buy with my eyes and that's a freaking awesome looking burger or like sandwich or something. Mm-hmm. And then you can choose another slide. And it, you don't need to... You don't need to professionally create a whole bunch of professional ads and commercial time slots and spend an enormous amount. Um, You probably know this just as well as anybody as a marketing person that you can create really effective and good messages with a still slide or a short clip. For sure. And I would recommend if people have a small marketing team and they sign up with you that, uh, I mean, check out Canva, C-A-N-V-A.com. You can get a free... uh, account and it's an awesome graphic design platform you guys can also use this as a marketing tool in-house cool (laughs) and uh and you can use it for creating uh really easy marketing materials through that program and you don't have to have graphic design background and uh it's really easy to use so um i mean use it on both ends you guys can use it as a marketing tool and then also people that uh you know, have a limited marketing team. If they want to create something in-house, use Canva. It'll come out a lot better than paint or anything else that, uh, that you create if you have limited, limited skill set. That's a good tip. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Uh, a lot of our customers before they sign up, that's their biggest concern. How can I make this content? Like, what if I don't know how to do it? Will you help me find a photographer? What if it doesn't mm-hmm. look good? Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody has that problem once they start using it. It's, it's really funny how that happens, but um, people get really creative and they yeah. also realize that things don't have to be perfect to be effective. Like you can take out your phone, take a picture of a sandwich and write, you know, come back for brunch and people will come back for brunch. And it's not about making it that $10,000 photo. It's about making it look nice and putting it somewhere where people are actually watching and, you know, blocking out your competitors in the process. And that's a lot of a value we provide is that things can be easy and we have templates there. We, mm-hmm. you know, I have a marketing background and, and our team, we have marketing people who are always here to hop on a call with our customers and help guide them through the process because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it's actually a very easy thing to set up. You set it up once, you spend a couple hours on it and then it's done forever and maybe once a month you update events but even that, a lot of our customers never change what they show. They just set it up once and it provides them continuous value and every time customers see it they they react and they come back and it Mm -hmm. improves the atmosphere but it's really easy to set up Mm -hmm. yeah and a lot of businesses don't realize it but they've actually already created the content for tave you just scroll through their facebook or their social media um, you look at some of the posters and the graphic images they printed out and placed around the restaurant. It, it takes two seconds to repurpose that and throw it up onto tapes. So mm-hmm. it makes things really easy. Perfect. Yeah. And uh, what other obstacles do you guys face with uh, potential business clients? Uh, we really have... Our, our, one of our biggest obstacles is actually uh, producing boxes fast enough. We've had a bit of a shortage for the last few weeks, which is a good thing I think but uh, I really hate making people wait but we've had to do that recently mm-hmm. uh, and we're just coming out of a shortage we're hoping that next week we're going to have more boxes mm-hmm. uh, we, we actually manufacture them ourselves and we went through our entire supply of one of the components so mm-hmm. uh, we're hoping to have more of those in next week and be able to break through that 
Uh, anything I'm missing? Yeah, we're we're in the process of trying to finalize and figure out exactly that uh, how we can remotely install it. So that, so I we want to get to a place and we're really close to it, but we have to make sure that we've covered all of our bases so that when somebody because we have people that are interested in. Um, in other cities or even in the U.S., when they want it, we don't have to fly down there for every customer, but we can kind of ship them the box and guide them through the process. Of setting it up. Yeah. And uh, uh, so to give people a visual, uh, because they're going to be listening to this, so, uh, and I'll try to describe this and you guys can correct it, correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong, but basically, uh, so I'm business owner, I sign up and I'm like, sweet, okay, how do I get this set up? So you guys would ship me this box, if I'm a, out of a physical distance meetup or whatever, you'd ship me this box and the box is almost like an Apple TV size box. It looks slightly different, but it's size wise, just to give people a visual, kind of like an Apple TV size box and then it goes near wherever your cable TV box is set up and then it's kind of, uh, I'm not technical, so it's linked up to your TV, uh, maybe like hub that all the TVs are connected to so that it is, you are then like hooked up and then uh, from there, I don't know, you, you would turn it on and then you upload your content or I would upload my content and then away we go. Yeah, that's a pretty, pretty good explanation. It plugs into the cable box and then it plugs into the TVs. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's really easy to set up and, and then you plug one box in for every cable box. You set it up once and then it's done. And from that point, we can remotely do any other setup. We can remotely troubleshoot it where it, it's really you set it up one time and then you're good to go. Uh, and, and one thing we're even looking at is partnering with some installers and we're in talks right now with a network across North America where, you know, if you're a business owner and you don't want to do it, uh, we can do it for a small fee and have somebody come down and do it for you. But the whole process only takes about half an hour uh, in most cases. And I say that because some of the setups we've seen are pretty bad. Mm -hmm. uh, there's one restaurant in particular where their cable boxes are actually dangling behind the TV by the cord. Uh, they just didn't bother to mount it at all. Uh, one of them started to fall, so they put some painter's tape over it and just taped it to the TV. <laughs> Easy fix. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you got to get creative sometimes with how you get our box there. Uh, or you can just have a professional who will screw it in and, and do it properly. But yeah. uh, aside from physically mounting the box, which usually just sits on a cable rack and is no big mm -hmm. deal to install, uh, the whole process takes, you know, half an hour or so, maybe a little longer if you need a bunch of boxes, but it's pretty easy and we guide people through it. Mm -hmm. So we're really excited. We'll be doing our first uh, completely remote install in the next couple of weeks. So awesome. hopefully it'll go well. Awesome. Yeah, I hope, I hope so as well. I'm sure it will. Um, and I thought I'd give you guys the opportunity to like whoever's listening and they're like, this is awesome. I love this. I want to reach out to you guys. Uh, I kind of want to narrow in the funnel and just ask you guys what if you like encourage people to reach out for you what are you looking for that would help grow your business so what's like if somebody was to reach out for you kind of what are you looking for and somebody might come up with an idea and just pitch you something totally different but what what would what are you guys looking for that would be really helpful that uh that you could just ask for um, if somebody was interested in having Taves, like what would what would we be looking for to make sure they're a good fit for us? Sure. Okay. Um, 
we would want that we'd want it to be a business that uh, has TVs or that has a problem um, that can be solved through marketing, which is essentially almost every business. Mm-hmm. Every business has something that needs to that they struggle with when it comes to educating their customers about. Mm-hmm. And Tave, at the end of the day, is a really good platform, high engagement platform where you can block out anything that might damage your business or might distract you or ruin your atmosphere and you can play that mess and you can play instead messaging that'll help you achieve your goals mm-hmm. whether that is getting more people on a certain day getting more people to buy a certain item uh, educating people on how to use their item or just making them feel valued with customer experience by saying thank you for using or thank you for coming or thank you for choosing this hotel or something like that mm-hmm. yeah anything you'd add uh, Noah no I think I think you really got it um I'm guessing, I think your question, he might have misunderstood it. I think that it was more about like what, what are we looking for as a business as a whole, not just in our customers. Is that? Yeah, you so, can answer that too. Yeah. So we're just always looking to connect with good people and, and meet people. And, and whether that means it's someone who's interested in joining our team, which, you know, we're hiring, we're always looking for people, mm-hmm. uh, or you just know somebody who could see value from our product. We're just always looking to make connections and, and grow, uh, grow not only our customer base but the people we talk with and you know our our fan club and people who like what we're doing and want to help support us Mm -hmm. for sure do you guys plan on doing a lot of travel uh yeah do you want to just stay in winnipeg and you don't have to answer that if you're if that is not an okay question to (laughs) you can defer (laughs) we're gonna have to do a lot of traveling just as the nature of uh, our two positions and our jobs there i mean to close a business they people treat you differently when you meet them face to face kind of like you're talking about so i'm gonna have to do sales trips all over the place we're gonna have conferences and trade shows we already do um, Noah's going to also have to do conferences, trade shows, networking events, uh, different things. So mm-hmm. our, our jobs are going to be a lot of, of traveling, which is sounds like it might be kind of fun. And when I was younger, I was like, fuck, it would be sweet to travel for work. <laughs> but really, you're going somewhere. You're not really enjoying the place you're going. You have a really high-stress situation if you're doing like a sales meeting. And then you, after all that, you still have your day job to do in the evening. So you're working longer hours and you're mm-hmm. sleeping less. It's not mm-hmm. as glorious as it might seem. Yeah. I know <laughs> uh, uh, you guys invited me to a local event. Um it was over the summertime, and I unfortunately wasn't able to, to come to, but you, were you able to at that? I know it was a networking event, so you guys networked, but were you able to pitch to the entire, like, people that were there about, like, hey, who you guys were, what Tave is, and, and, and how that works? Or do you guys plan on doing more of those? Because you might be able to, like, obviously broaden, broaden your reach and get the message out to a lot of people more than one-on-one as well. But just a thought if that's... Yeah, we the, it was a really cool event that we did with another organization, the Jewish community. And we invited all of our friends and, and communities to kind of come there. There's a lot of young entrepreneurs and people that we've known in the business community and computer science developers and uh, customers and all that stuff. And um, we, we, we didn't really pitch Tave and we didn't kind of bring everyone in there with the goal of like, hey, by the way, this is what we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we did a lot of networking. We People made connections and, and we ended up with sales out of it too. So <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's talking to the photographer actually. And uh, and he's and he and he knew my dad because of the Jewish community. And I explained what I did and he's he thought it was a great idea and didn't really say anything at the time. 
And then my dad messaged me. He's like, by the way, this guy owns like 15 hotels. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Get in touch with him again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, uh, and on uh, next week or the week after, knock on wood, we will be installed in the first location. Um, and uh, another auto dealership was, uh, was a sale that came out. We just sent off a pilot proposal today. We finally decided on what the, what the pilot's going to look like and, and, uh, and figured out all the details. So, Awesome. Yeah. Good stuff. Right on. Um, and if my memory serves me correct, Noah, did you pitch this idea and get first or second place at a, uh, a contest, a pitch idea contest? Yeah, I did. Uh, we won it. It was called Ramp Up Weekend. You did. And the idea was that you go from an idea to a, well, they say it's a validated business, but it really isn't. It's from an idea to a slightly better formed idea over the course of a weekend. Yeah. And at the end of a weekend, you pitch it in front of a crowd. You show, you know, the traction you've gained. You show how you've progressed throughout the weekend. And, and so we won that. That was right after we came up with the idea. And that was one really how we launched the company was through that. Um, and it was a great program, and it really helped us get off. And what was that called? Uh, Ramp Up Weekend. It's put on by a group in Winnipeg called Northforge. They're mm. really involved in the startup community. Yes, uh, tech startup. Yeah. Uh, kind of in- incubator yeah. business model, right? That yeah. encourage other entrepreneurs. Um, so you guys did that pre-TAVE? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. we that that's kind of how we launched Tave was through that program. That was when we Very we, cool. we had the idea. We kind of talked. I talked to those business owners, and I went through that whole process of okay, we have a problem. Mm-hmm. And then the first work we actually did on the company was that weekend. Yeah, and that was like uh, I think I think Dean is talking about maybe the business plan or like another one of those competitions that you did or an elevator pitch or something like that because. By the time like we had met Dean, I think I mentioned that Noah had just won or taken second place in some sort of one of those competitions. Might have been. It might have been on an Instagram post that I saw too on on your guys' Instagram about oh. uh, winning. Uh, like it was like an elevator pitch contest. Yeah, I think we came in second place in that. Yeah, we've done a, we've done yeah. a lot of contests like that. Um, yeah, that's awesome. It was really fun. It's it's good publicity. Um, yeah, and it's a good way to get feedback on what you're doing and connect and network with people. Yeah. Um, and it was nice because we came in second and, and we won money through it. But yeah. I also see those things as a bit of a distraction. And yeah. I've actually had this mental shift away from doing those kind of things because it seems really tempting to go and spend a couple of days making a pitch. And, you know, you pitch it, you maybe win some money, you get to tell people about what you're doing. But it's actually a huge distraction from what you should be doing, which is building a business that provides people value. Mm. And so it's like we were talking about earlier where you kind of weigh the effort something takes and whether it's worth that struggle to fight through it. Mm. Uh, I kind of realized that these aren't worth the effort because at the end of the day, even if you win it, the reward isn't, isn't big. It doesn't really help your business. And so, Mm. uh, we, we've done well, we've won some of those competitions, but we don't do them anymore. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Um, well, I know we're nearing uh, the end. Uh, it's gonna be somewhere soon, but uh, I just want to open it up to whatever else you guys want to talk about. If it's still uh, Taven, like exciting things that are are going on, or if you want to go down any other avenues and uh, just leave it like open to anything that maybe that you guys have on your mind, maybe that you're like percolating right now, or um, 
whatever you guys feel kind of like chatting. I haven't done this before, but I just thought I'd leave some space and time to maybe just chat about whatever it is that you guys might want to talk about. Yeah, I mean, I think most of what we talk about is Dave. <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> that makes sense. Kind of For sure. The unfortunate side effect of founding a company is that you spend 90-something percent of your life doing it. And yeah. my girlfriend hates it, and <laughs> my friends hate it. But that's kind of, it becomes your life. So yeah. um, that's really all I have to talk about. But uh, I guess some of the exciting things we're doing that didn't come up in this um, we will be doing our first trade show in, in a couple of weeks that we're really excited about. Fomento mm-hmm. uh, Restaurant and Hotel Associations. Uh, it's called One Show. And so if, if you happen to be there, stop by and say hi. Mm-hmm. Um, if this comes out before then, I don't know how long the turnaround is on these podcasts. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, we're, we're actively hiring uh, developers at the moment. So we're looking for uh, software and hardware developers who want to get involved and, and you know, you know how to reach me. My contact info is going to be left here, and LinkedIn's really the best way. But mm-hmm. if you know someone who you think would be a great fit for this, wants to do something that is taking off and is really moving fast, uh, we're always looking for people to get involved. Yeah, and I would just add that uh, that if you feel like you can help our company out, uh, and you're not a developer but you're in a different position, and you feel like it might be something, and this is kind of something you want to get behind and, and dedicate yourself to, then definitely reach out uh, regardless too. Mm-hmm. We're always open to listening. And uh, even if we're not hiring at, at, at a certain time, we keep people in mind or, or maybe so- sometimes we even hire on the spot. It really depends on what the company needs and, and what it can do at, the, at that time. Yeah, it's funny. We have mm-hmm. I think four full-time and five part-time employees now. Um, and that's up from, I think we had just the three co-founders like, four or five months ago. Um, and pretty much every person that's joined the company, we went through some weird series of events. We've never hired anyone through a job ad. It's always someone reaches out to us. We, you know, we happen to meet someone and they know a friend or whatever it is. And mm-hmm. I find that's how you find the best people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's mm-hmm. how people who are genuinely interested in what you're doing get involved. So mm-hmm. if you're hearing this podcast and you're like, that's cool, let's talk. Um, we'll grab a coffee with you. Let's, let's actually talk and, and, We'll set up a time and we're always happy to meet people. Yeah. And I think we were talking to you before about how my personal experience in Abby, you're like, oh yeah, it's roughly the same is that I've had probably about half the places that I've worked at is through networking or, and then the other half has been, I've gone out, get it, no personal connection, but I've applied and gone through the traditional form of applying for a job and uh, it's nice through the networking way because usually you have someone vouching for you and the and, and you want to do right by that person in connecting uh, you to someone else yeah um, and it's a great like risk mitigator I feel like if somebody that we know really well and we trust their opinion says I know this guy and I'm willing to say that I think he would be a good fit for the company it, uh, it, it really helps you, you know, filter out those candidates. And mm-hmm. even more so, somebody that you know, or we've had people approach us saying, hey, I love what you guys are doing. Can we join you? Mm-hmm. That's perfect. If the, the kinds of people that are proactive will actually seek out what they want to do and not, and will try to create an opportunity for themselves and understand what they're getting themselves into, mm-hmm. those usually make really good candidates. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or she. 
Or she. <laughs> yeah. I noticed that too. Really? Yeah. Did you that know? pop out? Yeah. yeah. I just. It, it's it so unintentional me. too. No, no worries. Well, it is uh, has your guys' experience been that it's uh, primarily male for the tech industry? It it is, uh, and it, it's really unfortunate. About nine out of every ten candidates that we've ever talked to are male, and. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, that usually means that, you know, a very high percentage of your staff is male and that's not necessarily how it should be. But mm-hmm. uh, we kind of have the stance that it's just as wrong to hire somebody specifically to make it look like you're diverse as it is to hire somebody based on their gender or race or anything. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, that's, that's definitely a deep rabbit hole we could get down. If <laughs> yeah. In, the, in, your, in your background in computer science, yeah. uh, what was the percentage? high it's got to be in the 90s it's very very rare that there's many females in any class yeah and what would you recommend to balance that out if you if you have any ideas there's some really great initiatives at least in computer science that help uh, women get involved and and realize that there isn't this barrier to joining Uh, women in computer science wix is a really good organization that helps they go to high schools, they go to universities, they help show women that they can get involved in this field and that there is opportunity for it and help encourage uh, people to really follow their passion, even if they're a minority. Mm. So I'd really encourage anyone listening, if you're sitting there and this is something you want to do, but you feel intimidated, get mm-hmm. in touch with them. I know a lot of the organizers are great people. And that's W-I-C-S? Yeah. Yeah, not Wix.com, which is the website <laughs> building. No. Uh, yeah, okay. So, yeah, W-I-C-S. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure there's similar initiatives in, in a lot of fields that, and for a lot of minorities too, to help get involved and not feel uh, like you're the odd one in the room because that's not really fair yeah. to anyone who's following their dream. Who inspires you guys, um, either personally that you know, or or you mentioned Jordan Peterson, but uh, who else uh, would inspire you? And then that'll be the last last question, and we'll we'll, it's a great we'll wrap it up to finish off on. You want to start? Uh, you know what? Why don't I start and you can end it off on like the best note possible. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> Take it away, Abby. <laughs> uh, the, one of the, the biggest people that inspires me, and I, I'll go outside of Jordan Peterson. Uh, oh, wow. This is a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. Um, there's a lot of people that inspire me. But I would say that it would be... Okay. Uh, let's do. Let's do Stephen Ranella. Does anybody? Do you guys know Stephen Ranella? Okay. No. Stephen Ranella is a person who um, is the ultimate outdoorsman, and it's just a big, huge hobby of mine. And he has this attitude that it's okay. Um, he's fearless uh, when it comes to promoting hunting and promoting, you know, utilizing the animals and respecting the animals that you end up harvesting and trying to make use of everything and respecting them, but at the same time harvesting them. And it's a very controversial topic. I, I like the controversial topics. I, I kind of tend towards them. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he's one guy that I definitely really respect for his bravery uh, to actually go ahead and speak about these things that he ends up being called a lot of nasty names for. Mm. Yeah. Okay. No, I feel like I have a lot of different as, as inspirations from different areas of my life. Um, mm-hmm. Reed Hoffman's 
a really big inspiration for me technically. He was the, uh, he was the founder of LinkedIn, um, and just following his journey is really inspiring to see how he made it. And he actually has a great podcast called Masters of Scale. I don't know if you've heard of it at all, but anyone in tech, uh, it's really phenomenal. Or even just looking to, to see how people who are building these big companies that behave. And every week he brings on, he would bring on a guest, uh, you know, like Mark Zuckerberg and other huge tech people. Um, mm-hmm. And so he was a huge inspiration for me technically. Uh, but a lot of my inspiration came from people I knew, people who I saw doing things and just following their dreams. And a lot of my family and friends growing up, just the people who I saw that wouldn't do what was glamorous, but would do what they believed in have just always inspired me. Mm-hmm. What about that. you, Dan? Yeah. Um, uh, I really liked George Carlin, the comedian. Uh, he was a brilliant critical thinker that challenged common, like, why things are the way that they are. And he was always, like, ahead of the curve. And way back in the 70s, he got arrested for saying the seven things that you can't see on television. And one of them, I think, was, I don't know, fuck and a number of other words or whatever. And he actually said them and got arrested. That was, like, in the 70s. Um, But I just thought he was brilliant at looking at culture, religion, anything maybe taboo that you would talk about and kind of question it. And I love comedians for that critical thinking part that they have. Um, That would be one that just kind of comes to mind. Um, I was very fortunate to have uh, parents that loved me unconditionally. And I know that a lot of people don't have that, unfortunately. And so I'd say both my parents for having that like endless support and love. I think that's like a really key ingredient in like raising your kids and uh, they're not perfect. And uh, it's funny when you're a kid and then you turn into an adult and then you start kind of seeing things that your parents do and you're like, Oh wow, they're not perfect. They don't have it all figured out. But I think, um, one thing that they got right was that they just loved me unconditionally and supported me. And I felt that truly from both of them. So that was, that's definitely positive and inspiring. And I hope to do that into, into the future. Um, and I think I'll end it on that note because that's seems like a good, good end point. Um, but yeah, I know we got to get going. So I just wanted to say, again, I'm glad that we were able to finally connect and get together. Thank you guys for coming on the podcast. I hope that we can do a round two in uh, some time down in the near future and see what you guys are up to. I've just been like huge fans of you guys since we both met and super, super grateful that we Uh, got connected and I can't wait to see what is in store for you guys and think that you guys are just awesome and everything that you guys are doing it's really exciting as a Winnipegger to see a a local tech company with two young guys how old are you guys right now uh 26 and I'm 23 26 and 23 it's amazing what you guys are doing and I'm just so happy to have met you guys and I wish you guys nothing but 
success and we'll we'll put everything in the show notes and just want to say thank you guys so yeah. much for coming on the podcast thanks uh yeah thanks for having us yeah. uh definitely and mm-hmm. i think a round two would be great we we move at this crazy pace and i'm not trying to blow our boat and there are things that uh that we might have to announce in the future so i really do think that uh that having a round two would be pretty cool yeah thanks for having us team we really really enjoyed it yeah thanks guys thanks awesome Hey folks, Dean here. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode. Just a couple of reminders before I sign off for the day. Please head over to www.simpletounderstand.com. That's simpletounderstand.com where you can find show notes to this and every other episode. The show notes to this episode I've packaged up in I think a more simple to understand way. I've been following the minimalists.com uh, and have been checking out other podcasters and their websites and how they display show notes. Some don't display show notes, but I really like the ones who do. And I really, really like the minimalists show notes. It's very simple and very minimalist, as you can imagine. So I kind of adopted their format for this episode so please let me know what you think uh, either by commenting at the bottom of the episode we're in the comment section or you can also tweet me again at d douglas stu that's at d douglas stu on twitter again open to changing the handle as i just wanted to get back on twitter to promote this podcast but i'm open to seeing other options if you guys have any ideas and then please hit that subscribe button so you get the first uh, heads up on when a new episode will be coming down the pike and I got a couple of episodes that are uh, going to be recorded over the next couple of months I try to aim for one episode a month and my goal this year I started last December is to do 12 episodes so that's one a month so uh, I'm almost there I got a couple that are lining up quite nicely and uh, stay tuned for that and that is it for now so please hit that subscribe button leave a comment reach out to me and uh, let me know how you guys are finding this podcast and uh, until next time enjoy and take care of yourselves